Hey everyone, welcome back to this episode of the B2B Power Hour. Today I am joined by Jesse Lezak, who's the head of marketing at BDEX. And honestly, probably one of the most proficient voices I've seen out on LinkedIn when it comes to marketing, technology, cookies, the future of privacy, uh, revenue intelligence. We're going to cover a gamut of topics today, but um, Jesse, I'm so excited that you joined us for the show. Thank you uh, for being here. Oh, thank you so much for that warm welcome. Like, <laughs> it feels very undeserving, but I really appreciate that. Uh, no, I believe it's it's very well deserved. Um, where I thought maybe we could begin is talking about cookies, because it's something you posted a lot about. It's something you talk a lot about, and where. I thought maybe we could start for the uninitiated. <laughs> how how does analytics, how does marketing analytics work today? Like from most companies use a certain kind of arrangement and what does that look like um, for, for most firms? Hmm, that's a great question. Um, well, for me, what I really like are dashboards. I like okay. live data, I like accurate data. Mm -hmm. um, you know, we can look at PowerPoints and, you know, PDFs all day, but I like, I want a culture of data where everybody can see what's happening all the time. Mm -hmm. um, and then when we get together, we can have conversations about why things are happening that way. And I apologize. I was out sick yesterday. And so I'm a little oh. hoarse. Oh, little don't sick. worry about it. <laughs> I wouldn't worry about it at all. So Usually organizations are are taking all this data and, and sometimes they're not combining it. Sometimes they are and they have dashboards that they can use it. But um, a lot of the ways marketing seems to work today, and you can correct me on this, mm -hmm. is they're using um, cookies or trackers in a way that aren't considerate of the user's privacy. So yes. What does the future look like? <laughs> What's going to change um, so that marketers, will marketers still be able to gather the data that they always have been able to? Or what is going to be sort of off the plate that maybe we have access to today? So Google has delayed cookie deprecation. So that's okay. the big one. Um, so that's where a lot of us are getting a lot of our third party um, cookie data. Um, mm -hmm. that, you know, and I say third party because you'll still be able to use and collect cookie data from your website as long as you get people's consent. Um, but it's the third party cookies when you're you know bouncing around to other people's website and seeing that behavior. Um, you know that's that's what's going to go away on Google. So mm. you know you're going to want to lean in to your first party data and honestly like. This was one of the big reasons I wanted to work for BDEX because I was like, oh, hold on a second. What's happening? Like, I use third-party cookies. Like, so <laughs> what am I going to do? You know, like, what's happening? Totally. Um, so I was just super intrigued by what we're doing here and what we offer, you know, some of the largest companies and, you know, best marketing agencies in the country mm -hmm. um, is the ability to enhance their first-party data um, you know, we have identity resolution, but also machine learning to take your first party data and go out and find other customers who look like your ideal customer um, and target your audience based on your first party data rather than the third party data. Now, 
you know, so like, you know, you get into like, do you agree with it or not? So like the whole reason behind all of this is to respect people's privacy. Um, you know, like for me, honestly, like, I don't care if you have my cookie data, I suppose, because I like <laughs> relevant ads. Um, you know, so I was like, oh, that's fine with me. And like, I've used that data as a marketer. So I like kind of knew. Mm-hmm. So I get like the side that's like, you know, this is horrible. We shouldn't do this. But at the end of the day, like now that I've seen the light and I've been using a first party data strategy, um, I can tell you that it is better than, mm-hmm. um, you know, using third party cookies. So what, what do you see as some of like the differences that show up? Because, and, and actually I have a clarifying question in this, which is around like retargeting is retargeting inside marketing, mostly reliant on third party cookies. Hmm. Um, or it, hmm. it, it can be, <laughs> no, I was going to say like for me, retargeting is based on like people who visit our LinkedIn page or, right. you know, people who visit our website or, mm-hmm. um, you know, something along those lines at, rather than like someone who visited a competitor. Um, Interesting. Yeah. that it, it does. I just putting those pieces together, it does sort of shift the availability, even though of data, even though it may not necessarily shift like the best use cases of the, of that data. Like I, I probably have never run a retargeting campaign based on whether somebody visited a competitor's website. But I'm, I right. think I've seen yeah. case studies in which people yeah. have. And so like that sort of shuts down some of those options, but opens up new ones based on exactly. first party data that um, you've been discussing. So yeah, uh, just to go back to that, what do you see as some of the, the differences, the pros and maybe cons of the first party data focus versus using third party cookies? Like what, what shifts? What shifts? Well, for the companies who I think are doing it well right now, they've already shifted. They already have a first party data strategy. Um, And this depends on the company size, um, you know, based on like what that looks like. Um, You know, a first party data strategy could start off simply for like, you know, small businesses like a spreadsheet, you know, like who are the people who are signing up for your newsletter? You know, like um, that's your first party data. It's your first party customer data. So then as you grow, of course, you can get a CRM. You may store that in Salesforce, um, you know. And so really what you want to build, as I was talking earlier is a data culture where everybody who is touching the data, using the data, um, collecting the data, reporting on the data, they all have the same idea of, you know, what it is, um, you know, and what they should be putting in and when and the definitions of each value. Um, And, you know, I think there should be a lot of general consensus upon like, how we move and create new fields and like, you know, things like that, because everybody, you would not realize it, but like everybody has a different view of the data, you know? So like your dev team might be like, oh, well, you're gonna, you know, mess up our Apex code that we spent all this time on. (laughs) And then like, you know, the salespeople are gonna be like, that's not even gonna be useful. And then the marketing people, you know, are like, oh, we're doing awesome things, you know? (laughs) (laughs) That's um, it, super interesting to get consensus. Yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah. Yeah. That that you're able to who do you think drives that inside an organization or who should drive that? Yeah, is it like a CRO a role or a C, mm-hmm. CIO role or you know, where does that sit? 
I think that's probably still TBD, to be honest. I think companies will probably figure that out. But like, um, that's part of your first party data strategy is picking that team, you know? So like you were talking about, what is that shift? So that shift is getting your first party data strategy. That strategy should have, if not like a solely dedicated person, at least one or two or three or four people on the team from different departments who are meeting at least once a month to say, here's what's happening and here's how we can improve it. Um, you know, so I think that will be the shift is we're just going to have to start thinking more carefully about our data. Mm, totally. And how does, uh, you have briefly mentioned machine learning previously. So I, I presume that that's for probably larger companies with much larger data sets. How does that layer on to a first party data strategy? Is it is its purpose to drive better decision making or for better insight or how should co- like yeah. like all of the above <laughs> it could be a multiple okay. choice like, list here yeah <laughs> yeah and machine learning can do everything like ai and machine learning machine learning is just a component of ai um which i've learned you know from working at vdex mm-hmm. um but it can do you know there's so many things like in any like realm the medical fields like every industry can Mm -hmm. use technology to their advantage to create efficiencies where there are none right now um and so i don't think it's just you know as of right now maybe it's just limited to larger corporations but you know I think that as smaller teams start to question it more where you know solutions will be found and so, you know, yeah. My, this brings me to sort of a central idea I had for our conversation, which was about building revenue intelligence. And we were just sort of getting into this. And um, we, Nick and I started to have a lot of different conversations with people about how, how they think through the data they have and how they're using that data. And uh, some of this is, that first party data strategy. And we've often called this, you know, revenue intelligence, understanding pipeline metrics, customer life cycle, be, you know, having a full, not 360, but you know, 360 of yeah. your revenue organization, however that's set up. And what I wanted to know from you were like, what are, I mean, as a marketer, especially, what are the sort of the metrics that you pay attention to at BDEX? when you think about revenue intelligence, and maybe we can just start there. Like what are some of the metrics you as a marketer are really paying attention to in trying to be more effective um, at at BDAX? Well, number one is revenue. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Like number one, you know, so it's like marketing's not just here to like throw out some fluffy stuff. Like (laughs) make me do that and it pisses me off. Like, no, it's not happening. Like, you know, the point of the company is to growth business. So that's number one. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so that's what I like to look at. Honestly, if I, I'm just thinking about like, I pull up my dashboard, what am I looking at? So yeah. looking at like leads per source, you know, or like revenue per source for the quarter, um, like how much did organic bring in? How much did direct bring in? How much did paid bring in? And I use HubSpot. So I'll drill into that and be like, mm-hmm. okay, this organic, what, is that actually, and then you go look and you're like, oh, LinkedIn, 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 you know? So um, we're like Google once in a while, you know, like, but um, so direct and organic um, is, and then I'll also look at like the age. So like how long is it taking us to close certain, 
you know, deals. And so like for inbound, of course, you know, it's always faster. So those organic and those direct leads who are coming in educated, um, they're closing much faster. Mm-hmm. How So not like this is uncommon anymore, but I do feel uh, talking with enough B2B marketers that the way you're thinking about marketing and tying it to direct results in revenue or, you know, indirect results in revenue is not as common as maybe it should be. So why do you feel ownership of, of those metrics? Like, I, you oh, know, and so many companies, there's sales teams that also have all of this and a lot of LinkedIn chatter, let's say, <laughs> kicks the can down the road to the sales team. Like, oh, it's their problem to sort of figure out. So like, why, you know, uh, help me break down how, why are you thinking through this as, as like an owner of that data and the owner of those results? Hmm. Well, like I myself have a background in sales. So okay. like for a stint in life, I was selling wedding dresses even, you know, like, <laughs> um, and then I did sales at SendHub, um, was sales manager, um, sales and marketing manager. I always was the sole manager, like while, or sole marketing marketer while I was there. Um, but then I also was managing the sales team at one point and then became COO. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, so for me, I have that sort of mindset of like, we need to justify our own position. You know, we need to bring in the revenue to grow our team. And so, you know, I want to help us reach our financial goals so that I can do what I want to do. Um, And I think that marketing has dramatically changed and it's changing. I just like lectured our team this week. I was like, marketing is different than it was already in 2021. 2022 marketing is already different. You know, like everybody needs to be active on LinkedIn. I'm like, no, like we want to encourage them to like go out and be their own authentic selves though, you know, and like engage with people um, and use that as a tool to build relationships. Um but for me, I guess, yeah, that's what drives my, dri- makes me want to go out and um, make revenue the goal is because then it kind of justifies what me and my department are doing so then, you know, we can help the team grow. Mm-hmm. Do you, I, what's coming to mind here is there's sort of a persistent conversation <laughs> in our circles out on LinkedIn about RevOps and like, you know, revenue operations. And part of me is kind of skeptical of it as a as a solution because um, not from like a tech level, like tech is is just enabling and augmenting, but from a an organizational level, so many companies have marketing and then sales, and they set up RevOps as like a way to bridge that. Do you? <laughs> maybe there's something already on your mind that you want to say, but I. What I want to know is like, do you find that a, as a useful solution? Because when you have marketers like yourself in in their own seats doing what you're doing, it doesn't sound like RevOps as a profession is is necessary. You're already doing the RevOps things, right? Hmm. I never thought of it that way, but like, um, you know, I'm also sort of a generalist marketer because I always work mm-hmm. for startups. Um, so like, I feel like I've always done RevOps. But like, because, and I don't want to say like old school startups, <laughs> yeah. you know what I mean? Like, 
B2B. I was I was working in Silicon Valley for a couple like friend media. That was an awesome company. Was a social media manager there, became marketing manager. Um, but it was sort of doing all that stuff, but like marketing was different in 2015. Yes, um, it was. And then to SendHub, which is where I was before and did marketing there, you know, through like 2017 where I feel like things really sort of started to shift. And then obviously like 2020, I was like, whoa. Um, mm-hmm. And we were selling text messages, so it was great for us. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I feel like I always did that. It just wasn't called RevOps. But mm-hmm. I think it's a good question because I always wonder like, what's better? Do you want a CMO or do you want a CRO? Or do you want both? Right. Or do you like for startup? <laughs> You know, because then I'm like, because you really do want to do that, but do you call it this or do you call uh-huh. it that? You know, like <laughs> and what, what and like what sorts of skills you hire for as a I result? I feel like the RevOps mindset sort of helps unsilo it all. Mm-hmm. You know, like when you have like marketing silo and like sales silo, which is sort of the 2014, 2015 model, right? Yeah. Um, and so that doesn't work. So if we think about it as revenue, I think that's the idea. Is like let's because that's what's always worked for me anyways. I've always done, mm-hmm. like, well, at, at SendHub, I always did marketing and sales, like, right. um, and there billing. Was no you know, because right? it's yeah. like, <laughs> it was a startup, but. Um, <laughs> you were the revenue organization of one, basically, right? Yeah. <laughs> you know, we grew the team, but, um, <sighs> yeah, so. Okay. I don't know that, but what you asked, I think, is a really great question. That I think mm-hmm. a lot of people would I think Dave Gerhardt, I've been reading this book, I think he would say CMO. Yeah. Um, but then other people I look up to, I think I, they would say CRO. So I'm like, right. I'm like, it's okay. I, it was just something that came to mind as, like, as you were talking. Like <laughs> and, and just get it done. That's, it is interesting that you bring that up because I feel in some ways, well, in, in your experience at the startups you've worked at, I feel like this is less true. But in a lot of companies that we've interacted with, marketing is more insular from the the activities and the decisions that the company is making to generate revenue. Like it's not, like sales is on the hook generally. <laughs> if they have, especially yeah. if they have a traditional outbound, inbound motion where they're trying to, um, you know, sell a product or doing land and expand deals, obviously marketing sort of becomes secondary, ironically, in those sorts of efforts because it's so outbound heavy. But um, in an inbound motion, it it changes the tables. Uh, So where where I wanted to take this for a second was to talk a little bit about driving inbound, especially in your experience. And a lot of the chatter is about using content, demand generation, of course, as a way to drive inbound traffic. And I want to tie two threads together now, which is about some of the data and the first party data strategy, as well as the um, making good content decisions. So um, at BDEX or any other startup you've worked at, what sorts of um, like performance metrics are you looking at to understand what pieces of a demand generation strategy or a content strategy are actually working? Uh, because it doesn't have an immediate payoff in my understanding, and I just wanted to pick your brain a little bit about it's a great measuring question. effectiveness. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's like throwing spaghetti, they say, you know, and seeing it sticks or whatever. Yeah. Uh, but like, yeah, so um, Google Analytics is always one of my favorites. It's free too, you know, so 
Um, you can see your website activity, how the blogs are performing, look at the views, look at the bounce rate. Um, if it's a high bounce rate, you know, chances are you could probably just remove the blog from your website and save on speed. Um, you know, a lot of people are afraid to do that. Um, mm -hmm. Repurpose, recycle, reduce, reuse, recycle. When you have those high bounce rates, just rethink it. Um, that's the other thing is just like continue testing. Um, but yeah, I did a post actually on like the eight ways to um, improve your content strategy by looking at data. So there's, mm -hmm. um, you know, a lot of stuff you can do. And it's just one is just making sure you do it, like making sure you're looking at this data. Um, but also you want to do your keyword research before you even start writing. So like that's step one, you know, for me. Well, you know, and like what are people out there talking about? And how do they search it on Google? Like for me, that's still valuable information. Mm -hmm. um, and then that'll get my wheels turning about content pillars. Like what are these things I want to say that I think will resonate with these people? I'm trying to educate, not sell, educate. Um, and, you know, who best delivers that message? Does that come from me? Does that come from the CEO? Does that come from, you know, like our blog? Mm -hmm. um, and the blog is a place where like you can build content that like, well, first you want to make sure people are searching it because of course it's going to rank low if people aren't even searching that. Like I showed up at BDEX and I was, t I was kind of laughing and I was like, so we rank really high for Omnisource IQ, but no one's searching for Omnisource IQ. <laughs> <laughs> you know? That's a problem. Yeah. <laughs> so we looked at that, you know, and I did use third party data, you know, and I see like, mm -hmm. what are other companies doing? What are people searching? They land on these other companies, you know, that's all going to go away. Mm -hmm. um, but it's still available now. Um, so you just, you look through the data, you learn, and then you plan your strategy. Um, so your strategy should start with data and your strategy should end with data. Do you think that marketers maybe hamstring them, if that's the right expression, um, or are hamstrung, they sort of limit themselves by only looking at like direct response on content? So one my one of my thoughts is instead of sort of like the uh, looking at uh, a funnel on a website, for example, and so mm -hmm. we know that we had a thousand users end up on the homepage, and a certain percentage went to this blog post, and of those percentage, we had like a really high convert rate. Meanwhile, these other pieces of posts, you know, didn't have a high immediate either demo request mm -hmm. or whatever sort of your call to action is. Mm -hmm. But as you Long stated, blog. Right. Yeah. The, those other pieces could be educating them. They just aren't converting on that moment. So like, how do you think through about balancing, like op optimizing for conversions and also just educating an audience that ends up on your site? <laughs> Great question. Thank you. Um, so yeah, I mean, I think it gets down to bounce rate again and looking at the quality of mm -hmm. the blog. So like of those people who are looking at your blog, like are they actually reading it? Um, if so, leave it there. Um, does it have a decent volume? Okay, you know, like just, it's it's already there. Make sure that the photo is compressed so it's not taking up too much space because honestly your website's all about speed. Like um, make sure you don't have videos and stuff on there. You know, I digress, but like, <laughs> just like make sure that the blog isn't too, um, there's not, too much that's going to weigh down the website. Like as long as that's fine, then just leave it there. Um, and if there's a high bounce rate, then that's when you rework it in my opinion. Mm -hmm. Or like if there's no traffic to it at all, that's a big red flag too. Or like yeah. very low, like it's like, 
you know, compared yeah. to the other ones. Yeah. Um, and how about like layering on a social approach to this? So you had mentioned earlier on about marketing in 2022 looks a lot different than even last year. <laughs> uh, and this is certainly a topic of interest to us around here. So when it comes to like staff members at companies and, and as a head of marketing, how do you conceptualize and think through like, <laughs> I'm saying this in quotes for our audio listeners, controlling the message, right? Like the, there's a, <laughs> and I know you sigh, like, right? Like, okay. Tell your team to go trigger the world. Like, <laughs> Embrace yeah. the trolls, trigger the world, say whatever you want. Embrace that authenticity. Yeah. Do you, yes. So there's not, in your, in your view, there's not really a downside. No, I think you just, yeah. I mean, I guess don't hire people that are going to say something, you know, really inappropriate. It's going to make right. your brand look bad. Um, that's something you have to consider in your hiring process today. I would mm-hmm. honestly say, I think that you need to look at someone's LinkedIn a um, hundred times over their resume and look at their activity. Are they engaging? Do they have an audience? What kind of audience? Who follows them? Like, there's all these things you should be looking at before you even hire them, um, because that's 2022. Mm-hmm. That's and so, so like, as long as you do that, then you, you know, don't have to worry about these sort of things. But like, the thing is, is like, or like. You know, even if people have the right people, they're like, there's like this old school mentality, right? Like you shouldn't post or like, um, I'm fortunate. Like BDEX is not like that at all. Like they're, we, everyone has shield, you know, like we all, and I'm always trying to encourage the team. Like, you know, um, it's a mindset shift for a lot of them, you know, and it's hard to post, but you know, you just like try to inspire them as much as you can. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think the way to inspire them is to let them know they should go out and be their own authentic selves and post what they want mm-hmm. and not be, you know, puppety or like selling, no selling, yeah. you know, no, no direct pitches. That's the one rule. No direct pitches on LinkedIn. It's pretty good. I like that. Yeah. <laughs> That's what I, what's so interesting to me about that, and you pointed to this, is it? I do feel like it's an old school mindset, right? Like yeah. we have, and I don't know if this just sources from the CMOs I've worked for, but that, you know, there is a brand message and we have to use every available channel to renew and expand that brand message because it's, you know our prospects are interacting with our sales teams out on LinkedIn. And so it needs to be consistent and, you know, across the board, it needs to be the same is basically what is what they're saying. Not consistent. It needs to be the same. It needs to all sound the same. And what you're saying is just to make sure I understood this right, that doesn't matter as much as it used to. And it's so much more important for people to just connect with people as they show up. Yeah. And I'll say I'm even guilty of this. I feel like it took me a long time to figure that out because Hmm. I've been on LinkedIn since like 2008 or something. Um, And I worked through a couple different companies and even like I worked in politics like before I even was in B2B Texas. And like um, so, you know, I have all these different audiences, um, but it wasn't until more recently that even I kind of discovered how to utilize it. Um, Mm -hmm. But yeah, I think it is a mindset change. It's a mindset shift. And your question again was like, how do we change that? 
Well, just, I don't know. I was just getting your thoughts on it. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I'm, like, I'm trying to get back to where I was going to with, with that, like your question. Um, just, yeah, shifting from the old school mentality. Right. It's a great question, you know. And yeah. So I think that's where revenue comes in mm-hmm. is once you start. And that's what works for me is mm-hmm. I can go into HubSpot and I can show like these leads, these opportunities, these deals came in via LinkedIn, like it says organic or direct um, on the attribution software, but where the customer tells us, um, you know, like Chris Walker advised us all to do like a year or two ago. I was like, oh, okay, let me do that. Um, And it's the best thing I ever did. Thank you, Chris Walker. Um, And so it's like LinkedIn, 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 you know, so um, that's how you justify it. Luckily too, like with BDEX, they that one of the reasons David hired me, he'll even say, and he's our co-founder and CEO, is because I was active on LinkedIn. Um, and so they were looking to kind of explore that realm. So, you know, as people are out there looking for jobs, that's one of the things that like you can look for too, is like and ask about is like, what is your culture like on LinkedIn? Um, because you know, as long I think the point of it is people connect with people, not brands. So allow your employees to go out and be their own authentic selves so that they want to represent your brand well. Um, and that's that's the goal, 2022. Mm-hmm. Get your team to feel comfortable, embrace themselves, and feel confident building relationships on LinkedIn because, you know, we're still going into now our third year of the pandemic. Um, like I'm sick, you know, so yeah. like, it's like going around, I have kids, so I still have kids in school, but, um, mm-hmm. yeah, you know, That's it's great. like, this is where the trade show is everybody. Right. Time to show up. Time um, to show up. When, where I thought a week ago next, and this is tying a thread in from earlier is thinking about serving buyers at different stages of the buying cycle. Mm. Um, and we've touched a little bit on this when we talked about content and like looking at performance on content. But what I wanted to pick your brain a little bit about is like how how can companies, especially marketing teams working with sales teams or this whole revenue organization, like effectively align with buyers? Do you have a framework you use? Because I know some SEO specialists do, what is it? To- tofu, mofu, bofu, you know, top of funnel, middle of funnel, bottom of funnel or something like that. Um, I'm sure everybody has their own way to think through this. So how do you think about aligning marketing with what buyers needs, what buyers need at different points in the buying cycle? Mm, great point. Great question. And as a one-person team, it really does get difficult to help build out the full pipeline from a marketing right. perspective. You know, so like when you first get started, you're like thinking so much about the top of the funnel, right? So um, then we start bringing people into the middle of the funnel, and that's where we're going to start needing our content. Um, and then the content comes in, and I think of this in several ways. It's like we need to work with the sales team, and like what are they emailing? Um, you know, and like, how can we help them? Is it a one pager PDF? Can we rethink this? Maybe we should update the website instead. You know, like that's typically my push. Um, but I've been convinced by some like good salespeople out there. Um, I'll give a, um, give credit to Ricky Pearl from Australia. 
Um, but he suggested for a one-pager PDF that would be effective, try focusing on like case studies that are specific to the industries. And so, you know, and then from some of those that I've received myself from other companies sending me PDFs, what I've found is, um, you know, like less is more. Just give me a couple big KPIs. What did you do for that customer? Because first one, first of all, they're not responsive. And that's why me as a marketer, I'm like, I don't want to make the one pager PDF sales team. I'm going to go update the website, you know, <laughs> but like from the sales perspective, they're like, I just want to send this, you know, person something like, okay, here's this web page. So please send them this link. But also here's this PDF. Um, you know, and the goal of it would be a relevant case study with some relevant KPIs to basically show like, what was the problem? How did you help solve that problem? Hmm. That's so interesting. And it, this is kind of coming back even to a RevOps question. You see that as part of marketing's work too. It's not just, a, you're aligning the buying experience from stuff you, uh, are, let's say in control of being the website directly able to change on a moment's whim to the stuff that you're just supporting other members of your team in doing, which is like some of the sales uh, side, whether that's collateral or assets, like all mm -hmm. of that, it, mm -hmm. it comes back to marketing, but in your view, it's, mm -hmm. it's like, oh, we're just building revenue for the firm. <laughs> right. Well, like, yeah, you do still think about it. Like I do at least like from a marketing standpoint, because, mm -hmm. um, you know, like for one, you want to set up some automations and um, that's going to come from marketing all the workflows. So like, you know, what are people clicking on when and what do we want to send them when they do what? Um, and so that's what I think marketing has to step in and do. Um, you know, email people say, are saying is dying. And like, honestly, I just think like, obviously we don't have the open rate data anymore. I don't think email is dying. I think you should still send an, an autoresponder, um, you know, based on different behaviors, but you should embrace text messaging as well. Um, it's a new mm. form of communication, you know, so like these are all different things that marketing can help enhance and make the sales team's life easier because that's really what we should be here to do is like, if we're, if the goal is revenue, and the sales team is the one directly working. Like we want to support them. Like, yeah, we have to think about longer term value and brand, um, but it's ultimately to bring in more revenue. Totally. Um, yeah. Couldn't have said it better myself. <laughs> I, I feel like that's where, yeah, marketing's golden spot is. Um, yeah. I, where my brain went to immediately was that there's sort of a there's a shift that I see happening, and I love your perspective on this. In which we have more direct access to stakeholders than we used to. Um, obviously, LinkedIn is sort of the prime example here, but even Twitter, honestly, in some circles, uh, for <laughs> for selling even and getting in front of them. So yeah. when I've often grouped those tactics as almost like a modern version of guerrilla marketing of just like this sort of bootstrappy kind of on like the ground yeah. <laughs> in the feeds, you know, getting in front of people. So, and to me, that's a very different activity than cold emailing, for example, or um, producing content on your site. So not like BDX has to do guerrilla marketing for you know, to have an opinion on this. But what I wanted to know is like, how can marketers 
and those that they support stay consistent or continue to provide value in those sorts of more direct uh, uh, connections with people? Um, is it just by like being a real person and like staying authentic in a conversation or is it, you know, tying something back to your firm or I, you know, I don't know. I just kind of wanted to pick your brain. Great question. Yeah, I think it is. I think it's, um, all of the above, you know, like be your own authentic self. Yes. Go Mm -hmm. post on LinkedIn. Yes. But engage with others, find your audience, go connect, um, engage with their content and learn from those real humans or who are really in your audience like go read their blogs like Mm. you know go study their website put yourself in their shoes understand their emotions like why would they want to buy my product and why don't they know they need it how do i make them know that you know and how do i do that so that my sales team doesn't have to make a cold call you know Um, Because that's awkward. Like, I don't like receiving cold calls, I'll be honest. Like, I've made a lot of cold calls, and I have enforced a lot of cold calls as a sales (laughs) manager. But um, personally, I I always joke that I would rather have 40 impressions first. Like, personally, I prefer 40 impressions first. Um, And then you can cold call because then, like, at least I know your brand. I understand what you're doing a little bit. I might have some questions like, how do you help me? But by that point, I might be more willing to make time to listen um, if I know at least a little bit. And so, you know, for me, it's always just about putting yourself in their shoes and, um, you know, understanding the people on the other side. That's awesome. That's great. Um, Jesse, we've begun asking this question at the end of every of our interviews, and I have to apparently clarify based on the way our last few guests have responded to this. This is not like you're about to die and you only have an hour left on the face of the planet. I'm simply asking <laughs> if you have an hour, a power hour per se, and what, you know, what would you do with that hour? Thinking about some of the stuff that we've talked about today. What do you mean? Like if I had an hour like to do anything? If you had an hour, let's say, to to transform marketing at a company or, or you know, you have an hour to really as a high leverage point, what would you do with that power hour? Hmm. That's a great question. I would use it to fully understand my audience, um, collect as much information, qualitative everything I can about them um, with all the information out there in the world, focus group studies, everything. It's like, it's just like it's in my head now, like I have it all. Um, someone gave me that technology and made that happen. Um, so I guess for me in that hour, it's all about like getting all the information I can, um, so then I can go out and educate my audience. Um, because I think that's how I will grow is by best understanding them and provide, then I know how do I provide them value through marketing, um, because it's not about talking at them. It's about talking with them. It's about educating them. Um, and so for me, it's about educating myself first and foremost, so I can go out and be that teacher 
for my audience. So I guess for me, it's all just about information. Information is power. So I would spend that hour getting as much information I could from all the power stakeholders, all the technology, all the blah de blahs that I can to best know about my audience so I know how to best educate them. That's awesome. Thank you. Um, <laughs> and thanks for coming on this episode of the B2B Power Hour. Jesse, it's lovely to have you. Um, oh, where can people you. Where can people find you? Uh, people can find me on LinkedIn. It's J-E-S-S-I-E-L-I-Z-A-K or you can just um, find me at click-cause.com. Awesome. Well, thanks so much and thanks for joining today. Thank you so much. Did you love today's episode? Subscribe now to have our three weekly episodes waiting for you. And if you really like our content, please leave a five-star review. But if you're not ready to give us a review, check out another episode and follow us on LinkedIn. We'd love to win you over. See you next time. See you next time.